Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Baba, You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. everybody welcome to go home bible you're drunk the podcast where we couple of ex-evangelicals now atheist ish folk pull out our bibles and try to figure out what exactly they were trying to tell us when we were in sunday school i'm tori i grew up fundamentalist christian and i was taught the bible instead of going to actual school so that's cool anyway uh i may or may not have slightly misrepresented my co-host my name is Justin. I am also former evangelical, ex-evangelical, if you will, and circling the drain of atheism on the daily, but enjoying the ride for sure. I went to actual school, in, and, but we also learned the Bible and learned all, all manner of things like how, you know, the helicopters are actually locusts and that the Bible says the races should not mix. That's also a thing that's just taught to me instead of getting a real education. So lots of lots to unpack there. And that's what this podcast is, where we unpack all the craziness that we were taught and we learned and we um, we do it with a drink in hand. Sometimes uh, we are joined tonight. We have a special guest and I'm going to embarrass him because he, he is he is the pope of <laughs> evangelicalism <laughs> uh, or king or whatever you want to call him, no. whatever he wishes to be called. Uh, Blake None Justin is with us. And uh, we'll let him introduce himself a little bit for those of you that may not know him. And then we'll dive into our Blake. (laughs) Please no. (laughs) I'm going to get you a little hat. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I I actually accept the hat. I will. I I mean, I look ridiculous in all hats, so why not go big? Hi, everybody. My name is Blake and I grew up, I did go to public school, but uh, yeah, went to church a lot. I was a very religious kid. You know, recognized a call to ministry at the ripe old age of seventeen. Actually, went chose chose the same uh, college that Justin ended up going to as well, and that's when things started to fall apart, and then slowly kept falling apart for over a decade after that. So, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm also I, a host on the Irreverent Media Group. I do primarily a podcast called Exvangelical, and then. Uh, which Tori has been on, and mm-hmm. Justin was just on uh, last week uh, for his other podcast, Revcovery. I'm excited to be here and chat, chat with both of you. I, I sort of uh, shoehorned my way onto your show by <laughs> by by like floating a, a, a joke about um, <laughs> numerology. <laughs> yeah. 
because oh. this is going to be your episode 38. I'm 38. And yeah, that's it. And we had uh, episode 37 last week. And I'm 37 still. And for... Next next week will be my episode. I will be yeah, 39. Perfect. So and that'll be complete the old testament. Right. Yes, we we will we will have completed. We will have released every Adele album. <laughs> <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> it is helpful, actually, that Adele does that because is it? I can well, I can start the album knowing like what phase of life she's in. Like that um well that one um album uh oh, which which whatever album was the taylor swift released like near the beginning of 21 where she got like super folksy i was like oh she turned 30 that's cute like it just you just knew <laughs> like the type of music like she just she's in her 30s now and adele just like lets you know right off the bat this is how old mm. i am i like i want to i want to know if she's gonna keep incorporating her her kid into it and like have the kid talk on every album and then they'll start their own album <laughs> that <like> would seven <laughs> 16. So uh, enough of, of Adele. If you haven't figured this out already, Tori and I have ADHD. Blake may have ADHD. Did you get I, I started uh, started meds for it a couple of months ago, and it's helpful. So it is. There will be digressions aplenty. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's okay, yeah. because if you're listening to this podcast, you either enjoy that or you're neurodivergent yourself and have never noticed. And we welcome yeah. all kinds. <laughs> strange brains here. Yes. Strange brains. Uh, but the fact that we have strange brains means that we noticed things. And that's also why we are here. Uh, so we we have a This Week in Evangelicalism. And rather than cover just one thing, we wanted to cover just a, a topic, something that keeps coming up. It's a perennial issue. A theme, a theme. if you will. And that is the phenomenon of the bearded Theobro, uh, typically giving hot takes on the internet, typically about women and their bodies, or, you know, on stage, it's just kind of yelling nonsense, uh, declaring war, this, that, and the other. And, you know, the name of the Theobro may change, but the beard and the attitude uh, seems to not. So we wanted to kind of just talk generally about (laughs) the phenomenon of the bearded Theobro. Uh, it's like where a Hydra, yeah, <laughs> yes, you have one, Hydra. You, you, you shave one of their beards and another one. Pops up. Oh, no. Um, you just can't get rid I of them. I was thinking it was like a Samson thing where they lose all their power until it comes back. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, just kind of opening it up, whether Tori or Blake. Um, what are your thoughts about the bearded Theobro? I mean, it feels like there were so many this week. Yes, yeah, so this week in particular was so brutal. This is currently it's February 10th right now as we're recording. This will be released in a week, but it just felt like there were a lot. That's why I wanted to talk about it tonight, because there just seemed to be a lot of bearded Theobros just doing their thing. Brian, uh, we'll yes. just use his first name. Yes. Brian on Twitter was like the crossover hit of the year so far. Like, yeah, like this was his uh, beautiful letdown moment. Like he crossed over and became <laughs> straight up like. Uh, you know, Twitter's main character, which is <laughs> impressive. Uh, <laughs> like usually it's, and usually it's just like our weird little part of the internet that like mm-hmm. talks about this stuff amongst themselves. And yes, like people that I'm sure we all follow, they do dunk tweets and stuff on this, but this got attention and like was mm-hmm. trending. Um, but then Wait, I don't seriously? know. Seriously? Mm-hmm. He blocked me because I yelled at him because he said that sex can only be enjoyed by like cishet Christians who were married. 
who are straight married. Like just so we're, we have to double, it's like you're heterosexual and straight. And you were much kinder than some of the things I said. And he double straight me and that bothered me. Um, well, obviously I want him to yeah. block me. I was like, please just block me, Brian. Like I should probably just block him. I didn't know he was trending. This is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. On his Twitter, he's kind of bragging about how 20 million people have seen his Twitter feed. I don't know how he would know that. Maybe I uh, just under analytics. You just Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, you can do the analytics, yeah. but you know, cause I'm such a pro at Twitter, <laughs> but yeah, so this got attention. So he was the main character of the internet for a couple days. Yeah. And trying to bring back the every man's battle, male purity culture stuff, which I, it's it's actually becomes a bit of a meme like the bounce your eyes thing is getting play on christian tiktok now but i mean a lot of people had really really good points to say about the fact that he literally included examples like you just had a baby like yeah what the fuck is wrong with him like wait a second like you I can't even context i never yeah, like saw, in, I don't i didn't see these tweets I, like I'll, I'll literally read, i will read the tweet i'll just read oh it. god yeah. oh um, god okay don't read the I whole thread but well well be, yeah i won't read the whole thread yeah. that would take hours um because some people aren't on twitter i thank good for you but i'll just read it it's he you know he says dear ladies you know i i the bearded theobro i'm addressing the ladies there's no reason whatsoever for you to post pictures of yourself in low cut shirts bikinis bra and underwear or anything similar ever not to show your weight loss journey not to show your newborn baby not to document your birth story and then like he does a dash your brothers like signed your brothers so he as the bearded theobro was speaking for for all men to all women and it's more like his examples were so weird yeah Weirdly specific. Like a woman showing, you know, a good chunk of her body after giving birth is a fairly common picture. Not sexual at all. No. It's like she just gave birth and you're going to. Bodies do cool things. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. And or even weight loss journeys. I understand weight loss journeys can can be triggering for people, but someone's proud of their body and they take a picture of it and show the world. That's fine. But regardless no, of whether Brian, you're yeah brother brian says that that's not the case and uh he's definitely not not projecting i'm i'm gonna say that he's not projecting anything because it <laughs> seemed like it seemed like it spiraled from there yeah right? oh it did <laughs> like oh shit because yeah and it was really funny and then somebody i saw the tweet that i did see that was like just kind of thrown into my feed by Twitter. It's not, it's not a person I follow. I don't even think, but they were like, honestly, that Brian guy just wanted titty pics in his mentions. Yes. And so he wrote this thread so that he would piss off all these people with boobs and they would like, go, go fuck yourself. The other thing about like my wife, what was it? My wife found these pictures in my DMS (laughs) (laughs) of all Mm -hmm. these naked women like yeah. Uh, yeah and you're just out here rebuking them you didn't you had nothing that was not conceptual mm-hmm. okay yeah uh, the ratio on this one is amazing there's like 20k like <laughs> oh comments 20k quote tweets and like maybe 7,000 likes it's the best ratio i've ever seen <laughs> that's a lot yeah oh yeah. my god that's a lot yeah so when do you when did the two of you sort of become aware of this sort of theater bro? I feel like even though he doesn't have a beard most of the time, I, I sort of associate with Mark Driscoll 
and like yeah. the sort of super bro energy that he brought to like new Calvinism and that whole young, restless and reformed yeah. deal. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It definitely was a thing when I was in seminary, uh, Mark Driscoll was, you know, hot stuff. Then he was only mostly problematic, not entirely problematic then. <laughs> And so, yeah, the beard, the like beret hat or whatever, the, IPAs. Like, the IPAs, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I blame the Theobro for the IPAs being the default, like good beer, quote unquote, like mm-hmm. it bothers me so much. I'll, I went to this bar, like, this was back when you could go in public places. And I was like, <laughs> what do you have on tap? He's like, we got IPAs. Like, what else do you have? What else? <laughs> Budweiser. Like, okay. That's, that's the only beers now. Oh my gosh. I think the cross-contamination too is what's really, really interesting, right? And and um, I don't actually know how to pronounce her last name, but Kristen, who who wrote who wrote Jesus and John Wayne? Who was that? Oh, Cobus Dumay. Yeah. Thank you. Like the, the overlap and how it kind of seeped out, right? Because it was like, oh, we're all going to do like MMA. And like, it, it's weird. Like, it's weird because it's like the, they're like theoros, like in Portland, outside Portland, who are not evangelical, right? Who have never been to church. And that is like still their entire culture. That is still everybody that they associate with. That is still their brand. That's their image. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's kind of fucking wild. So yeah, yeah, I don't like I don't like how it's spreading. Ew. <laughs> it's contagious. Yeah, it's bad. And the other one that from this week was the the skillet guy who I I saw I think in concert on like my you know like 18th birthday or something at you know some some random <laughs> some random field in Aurora, Illinois. That was great. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and he he has that same energy and the same same look, and he he was on everybody's feed this week because he was saying this deconstruction Christian religion is a false religion, which is it's just really really wild to me that like this is the point of the discourse now, like within evangelical circles, is they're like legitimately worried, uh, and it's strange, like yeah. To see it. Yeah, the fact that they're like, oh my God, this is a thing that's like happening and we have to address it or, mm-hmm. you know, but, it, it, and again, it's like in this context, right? Because I mean, we all grew up in, in evangelicalism and there, there, I don't know, there's like this very weird idea in like in that space with like what he, what John, whatever his last name, I know what his last name is, was saying. <laughs> John frying pan. We'll use first yeah, John, John. Okay, yeah, perfect. I'm John like, skillet. <laughs> Stop. Oh no, you totally threw me off. Oh, sorry. I'm, I apologize. No, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Uh, what was I saying? He, I felt like he kind of, he sort of embodied this like shift of, like I get to tell, like I'm, I'm all, you know, the hyper individualism. Right. But then also I get to tell everybody what to do and I'm telling them all to be exactly the same. Hmm. It's like, you all have to abide by like this standard, like this beauty standard, this set of rules, these morals. Right. And also like freedom, liberty, like bootstraps. Don't tread on me. I'll die of COVID if I want to. It's just, I don't know. It's just very strange. Right. It's like, you're trying to create all of these little like robots, like 
carbon copies of yourself, which I think, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what Driscoll did too. Honestly, like he intentionally like fostered that shit. Right. <laughs> it was like trying to train up pastors, quote unquote, to be like good, cool little colonizers for Jesus in the inner city or whatever. I mean, the storefront church I went to in Chicago, the the pastor definitely cribbed sermons from Mark Driscoll. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, he he was influential. <laughs> Oh no. But but yeah. Yeah, I mean that all this like this bro energy bringing whether it's from John Skillet or Brian on Twitter, like, you know, it's it's all about like aggravating and just keeping that same culture war stuff going. And mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. weird to me that it can be still remain so effective for mm-hmm like a big swath of people because that's what they've known. If you're born after the whatever, you know, broadcast legislation Reagan repealed, then there's oh. a chance you don't know any anything different. Yeah. yeah. I remembered what I was going to say, I think. But then it was like, you can't, like the, he's trying to like, oh my gosh. Nope, I didn't. It's gone. Sorry. I must've fucked up my meds last week and that's why I'm suffering right now. <laughs> Oh, it's, everything is a religion, right? It's like, well, mm-hmm. atheists are religion, t- religious too, just for something else, right? Like all these deconstructing people, like they're all fundamentalists also. It's just, they worship something else. Like they worship mm-hmm. themselves or whatever. Yeah, the, like, de- the deconstruction Christians. Yeah, it's like their deconstruction is your religion now. Like everything, like they can't, they have no framework with which to view anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Except like everything is a rejection of what you what you can see and accepting something as like fact that is just like somebody handed you a book here you go right biology textbook the bible they're both books we're both doing this thing where we don't know it's like but we but we do we actually know right yeah did you guys did either of you um get trained up in like you know presuppositional thinking and stuff because that seems to me to be like what drives that is that Everything is either underlying, underlying it is some sort of biblical Christian truth that's in air quotes or uh, dick fingers is the other (laughs) phrase I've heard for that. (laughs) (laughs) You, you are being a dick. It's because you use these, not. Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) Anyways. You're either, you know, following what the Bible says and basing your life on this this revelation of, of God and presupposing all these things, or it's some other false religion. I was trying to find the tweet that's just buried now, and I don't want to dig through Brian's mess any more than I have to. I just don't want to also misrepresent what he said. But there were a couple of tweets where it was kind of like, I don't hate women, or I don't hate, I'm just, I just stand for historical biblic a uh, historic biblical sexual ethic is like that the doesn't frame exist where, yeah do, yeah <laughs> like yeah first yeah first off your presupposition is fake but um <laughs> yeah but like that's what he's like saying like i only am standing for this historic christian and other tweets of his that have gone viral are that same flavor and not just him but just theo bros in general have that position of it's the Joe Rogan position, like just which is questions. I'm not problematic. I'm just I just stand for this, and I don't have I don't hate women. I just 
have a belief that denigrates women, you know, like, <laughs> like um, and when, why are you coming after my beliefs? So it's, yeah, this like weird inversion of the Socratic method. Like I'm just asking questions, but it's like, you're asking questions in an aggressive, strange way. And like, a way that is not helpful. So you don't want actual answers. And you, yeah, you, you want, want you want to hear yourself talk. So yeah, it's like this this underlying idea of I'm coming to you with the truth, and the truth is, no woman ever at any point has an excuse to do this. Thus says the Lord, and which is like, also not true. Also like, not true. Yeah, look at the very not clothed. I was going to say sexual, but they're not sexual pictures of like Mary, the mother of Jesus from medieval art where she's not wearing much because she's pregnant and giving birth and or you know a lot of erotic art that is depicting scenes from the bible from the middle ages like are you going to say that those western artists you know because western culture is their favorite culture those western artists the only one they know about (laughs) that is also true um (laughs) um Western culture is the best. What other cultures have you studied? Not the Western culture is the best. Why would I study any other? Um, <laughs> it's the one based on the Bible, the first book. God, so many deep cuts here. But it, yeah, it's like this. Deep, deep cuts because they hurt. Yes, deep Not cuts deep. because they hurt. <laughs> um, and so, and I don't know what the beard is for. Maybe it's because they want to look biblical or they're covering over a weak chin. I don't know, but... <laughs> I will say, I will say to the Theobro's credit, most of them actually can grow beards. I've I can't, been, I, I have I can't been, a, I've, I have long said, I've probably said it on this podcast before. There is a vast difference between not shaving and growing a beard. And most of these guys can grow a beard. So good for you, but you're kind of ruining the beard. That's, that's true. It's the, um, the all right problem for, for non shitty white guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, What's his face? To... The, that the the Nazi who got punched, Richard Spencer. He sort of ruined that high and tight haircut for a solid decade, two decades. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna have to go to the back burner for a while. Yeah, can't yeah. have that. <laughs> so, which is okay. I'd rather not have Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Dan Harmon rant this week that I saw, where he's like, he's like it's not political to say you're not a Nazi. Like, <laughs> that like, not that's a not being statement. political. That's not politicizing the discourse. <laughs> Saying you're not a Nazi should just be like the, the default assumption. <laughs> like, um, I think the, the scary thing is about some of these guys, and I say this about constitutional originalists as well, is it's a high sounding idea. Like I stand for historic biblical Christianity, or I stand for the original intent of the constitution or the original intent of the Bible. But what you uncover is like, there is no, there's no accurate way to uncover that for one. And so it just becomes this vacuum for you to fill in your own ideas and to project your own shit. Like, and that's, I think what was so like disturbing about this tweet this week was like, this dude, seems to me like he's turned on by birth picks. He's telling us this now and basically asking for a blanket ban because that's something he struggles with, but somehow he's made all men struggle with it because all men must be like him because, you know, like, cause he's the mm-hmm. default historic man. And so it's like this weird, like projection thing 
I don't know him. Maybe he doesn't, but anyway. And it, and it honestly, it, it sucks. Like that message that he put out there probably resonates with a lot of men who are embedded in a culture that teaches purity culture. And the thing about purity culture is, you know, Linda K. Klein has a really good turn of phrase to say she wrote the book Pure about purity culture and how it affects women. She said that women are taught that their bodies are dangerous and men are taught that their minds are in purity culture. And like it, with in respect to that, like it fosters this sort of sense, even if it isn't actually deviant, the the belief that you're healthy desires are deviant then now that is just another shitty message that he's helping to propagate and it and it sucks like you said but but whatever the bros suck (laughs) they do and like they should get dragged on twitter i don't really wish being a main character the main character of twitter like you know on anyone really no i think i think it's it's healthy to live in fear of that moment like if you were ever (laughs) that person but like like I think we've all had our brushes and with Twitter drama on a smaller scale than being the main character of like an entire the the English language like American continent Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Your bros suck. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good. That's a good conclusion. We'll take a brief break for an ad. Hopefully not for beard oil or something. <laughs> um, and <laughs> And we'll be back. So uh, we'll see you in a little bit. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for listening to that ad. I hope it was good for you, and you was, were, was you were served something relevant, I'm sure. So uh, for today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about church history and kind of the origins of evangelicalism and how it got in bed with capitalism and this, that, and the other, and Christian colleges, all the whole thing. It's going to be a, a cornucopia of, of fun for you. Uh, and it's fun you may have to cope with. And so for our drinking game or push-up game, if you don't drink or drinking water, do something that relieves stress for you because we want this to be a delightful podcast. So when whenever a Christian who is supposed to be for the least of these we hear ends up standing for the side of power and money over and against those who are weak and vulnerable. Or, or being the side of power and money. <laughs> or if they're just straight up being it, yes. You go ahead and take a drink because that's that's not cool. And take a drink. And then we'll kind of go from there. So Blake, you want to maybe introduce some of the themes and go ahead and kind of take us on this journey. And Tori and I will jump in as, as needed. As the Lord leads us. (laughs) Sure. So right now I'm sort of in my, my sort of headspace has been over the last couple of months. Um, I'm working on a book and I've been looking at just the history of white evangelicalism in America and you know, evangelicals like to appeal to like a, a lineage that goes back 
to Jesus. But a lot of what they believe is actually fairly recent, like things like premillennialism that came around in like the 1840s. Uh, and a lot of like what we sort of consider recognizable of modern white evangelicalism is right around that time. Like uh, there were some really significant, historically significant splits over the question of abolition and slavery that played out like the founding of the of the Southern Baptist Convention was to provide a theological justification for the practice of slavery. They still have not changed that name. No, no, they still. Yeah, but that was. There are receipts there. It's not, it's not a secret. This is not a secret history. This is public history. Like you can find this in multiple books. Uh, White Too Long by Robert Jones. Great book about white supremacy in white Christianity from jump in the United States. Not just evangelicals, just all of it. It's all bad. It's all bad. Um, It's rotten all the way down. (laughs) Anyways. What one of the thing that's things that's been interesting to me is I read read through this book that's called Guaranteed Pure, which is actually the slogan for Quaker Oats, or was the original slogan for Quaker Oats, and uh, it's wow. actually about the founding of uh, and the development of the Moody Bible Institute and a lot of the major figures around that. The reason why it references Quaker Oats is because later on Henry Kroll, who was the founder of Quaker Oats was someone who helped bankroll Moody Bible Institute. But Moody is such a really interesting character and Chicago is a very interesting place in history during this time because there's a lot of different factions at play like like Chicago was the it town. Uh, after the Great Chicago Fire, D.L. Moody was actually raised Unitarian. He apprenticed with a relative and was a salesman and then had a conversion experience, and then became a revivalist. And then he has this really interesting sort of path from there. Like, he grew up, like, the Unitarian Church, after either his dad skipped out or or passed away, I can't remember that detail from his biography, like, helped his family a lot. But he became very capitalist, personally. And as he goes about... <laughs> he was converted to Jesus and capitalism. <laughs> yes. And as he goes about, like, um, this process of, like, building up his, like, a revival, I mean, the best sort of word for it is brand, he he initially tries to convert, like, the lower class, the working class. But at one point, he starts to recognize that they might not be the the right target in order to address like labor unrest and things like that in the city of Chicago. And he, he starts to warm up to a lot of the big wigs in business, big wigs in Chicago, um, like McCormick and like McCormick center is this massive convention center that bears the name of this, this guy who didn't treat his workers well. As you do when you have your name on a stadium or a giant building. That's right. Yeah. And so didn't treat your workers well. This is a lot of preface, but what essentially what what he does is he starts cozying up to these business elites and he shifts his mission from he he was integral to the, you know, the the founding of the YMCA and some other things. But then over time, he starts to target the business class instead of the working class because it really has a more of a veneer of respectability and the even the idea of sort of respectable evangelicals sort of starts 
uh, or one of the, it's one of the places we can see that starting. And notably, there were a lot of, there was a lot of protests and labor unrests, and there's a big historical event in labor history and in Chicago history called the Haymarket Riot, which is where there were all these German anarchists. There's actually a drunk history episode about the Haymarket Riot. <laughs> yeah, sweet. It's, it's a good one. There were all these protests and, and other demonstrations of people lobbying for better conditions, better, better pay. And Moody at the time was trying to raise $250,000 in 1890s money or 1880s money. It's millions uh, of dollars. For a Bible Institute. And he's doing, you know, he's, he's on his, on his game. He's doing public speaking and he's just not getting the money. So I'm going to quote from this book for a second. And this is uh, Guaranteed Pure by Timothy Gloge. It says, whether concerned by denominational opposition or simply averse to the large price tag, Moody's business allies were slow to organize Moody's proposed training institute. Instead, as, they, as a consolation, they proposed Moody hold a re, another revival campaign. The first evening, Moody addressed lots of empty seats, exhorting the sprinkling of wives and mothers, quote, wives and mothers present, to bring to the meetings the men who were on strike. The following day, May 3rd, a massive crowd of 40,000 protesters gathered at the gates of the McCormick factory. Police killed four strikers and injured hundreds more. German anarchists called for a protest at Haymarket Square the next evening and distributed pamphlets with a call to arms. Moody's frustration was evident, warning listeners that, quote, God is not mocked, and that, quote, whoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then the next day was the Haymarket riot, which is when a bomb went off, and no one knows who set the bomb, and no one knows, and then it just caused chaos. But mm-hmm. after... Yeah, the police opened fire on the crowd, and... Mm-hmm. And Moody was able to raise his money after that. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. He got his check. Yeah. Yeah. So he was able to, which like is surprising that it was sort of that, that quick. And they, they were after, after that event, he was able to, to raise his, raise the funds and start to build what would become uh, Moody Bible Institute. And at the same time, even in Chicago, there were other factions who were vying for public Christian concern. There were Christian socialists who were vying and were building populist bases. But this is this was the decision, you know, this decision to not necessarily pursue the social gospel, which was a big the big thing that the fundamentalists and within 20 years would be pushing back against. Yeah, that's that's the decision that Moody made. So anyways, that's my little, I'm sorry, my little no, uh, mini, mini background about this sort of inciting inst- incident surrounding Moody and his, his choice to shift his attention from the working class to the business class and some of the results of that. It's, it's wild to me too, the Haymarket riot from what I remember, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, it was over an eight hour work day. Like it wasn't, these aren't like now today, we would not consider that as an insane demand, even though the eight hour workday is quickly eroding. That's it, it. That's not crazy ask, but at the same time, as I understood it, like a lot of these Labor Day marches and strikes were, or these labor marches and strikes that eventually became Labor Day were not violent. You know, they were just like, we're just not going to work. And they would have like, you know, speeches 
yeah, parks and stuff. And then it wasn't honestly until the police got involved and started roughing people up and bringing them in and, you know, to restore order, so to speak, that then these things started turning violent. And, you know, we got the eight hour work week out of it, but I've been learning that we don't, we don't get anything from the bosses, so to speak, without quite a bit of protest and organized effort. And it is interesting that D.L. Moody, who's one of the founding fathers of evangelicalism, is firmly on the side of the bosses, it seems. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's it's a really interesting, like the, the book is very, very interesting look at this, this period and this institution. Like later on, Henry Kroll, who's this other, who I mentioned is this person that founded Quaker Oats. He wasn't Quaker. He literally bought the name and an oat farm. It's one of the first sort of instances of modern branding, modern consumerism. And he helped to fund Moody Bible Institute and other fundamentalist activities, including the writing of the, the fundamentalist pamphlets, which is or the fundamentals, which is where we get the name, the fundamentalists or where we get that term. But like he literally like, this guy, Henry Kroll, he, he like revolutionized retail. Oats were just like a commodity that you could get at wholesale. And then he marketed that, you know, it was, it had a, you know, a nice old white guy on the, on the cover and it was in a package that was closed. And then he badmouthed like the oats that were just out and open for you to scoop and then shifted the power from the, from, the wholesalers to the companies like insane things that like, uh, and Gloja, one of Gloja's, the author's main theses is that modern style capitalism and this form of Christianity need each other. And so he calls them like corporate evangelicals. And so that is one of the, one of the terms he uses and to sort of piece that together or to learn this, this history is, just sort of mind-boggling the way that you sort of see all these things, the consequences of it later on down through history, which is wild. But that's why that's why I love history is because like you learn something like this and you're like, oh, that's sort oh, of that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, thanks. I hate it, but I understand it. Uh, but I understand it, which is important. Yeah. We've, yeah. We've mentioned on here before, though, that like if you are a pastor and someone buys you a book. There's about a 50-50 chance that it will be a book on marketing or business. Yes. That is what people give you because that is that is the model that you are supposed to emulate. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially as a church planter, but like pastors kind of across the board. It's like, oh, we're, yeah. doing, we're doing the Christian like capitalist model. And so knowing this history is so fascinating, like knowing that this is part of like the jumping off point of that idea of like kind of conflating evangelical theology on like capitalist aims. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To quote from the book again, it said like some like Kroll were pioneering innovators in business. Others worked as professionals before entering full-time religious work. All embraced the individualistic religious assumptions of what we call evangelicalism. They held a set of ideas about self and society that were common in business and all assumed an instrumental approach to knowledge that was born of engineering, law, and business. Those strands formed a corporate evangelical framework 
a mutually reinforcing model of reality, which is like, yeah, it's a one, it's a, it's a really fascinating book. And like the, you know, it's available as an audiobook too, if you can download stuff easier that way. I'm, I'm very, very much a fan of the one, two, you know, you buy the Kindle book and you get the audio book. That is nice. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I need to go drink now. (laughs) Well, we've, we've discussed this before too, where in evangelicalism is this very appropriative phenomenon. It appropriates things, you know, appropriates theology, appropriates characters, you know, like the, the one I think of is like C.S. Lewis, like appropriates these saints, these people that if you were to ask a random evangelical, actually probably not now, when I was growing up, you know, if you asked a random evangelical about C.S. Lewis, oh yeah, he was an evangelical. Like, no, he was not. He was not an evangelical at all. He's a universalist, you know, or, or Tolkien. Yeah, J.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Oh yeah, Christian. Like, no, Tolkien was a Catholic and y'all would have like, probably don't think he's going to heaven. <laughs> so... But but they'll get appropriated, you know, because they were in a John Eldridge book or something. And <laughs> so it's it's fascinating to me that like even the principles of capitalism, like economic principles become theology. Yeah. You know, these very individualistic political ideas become theology. And then, you know, t- 10, 15 years down the road, like all of a sudden you have people being trained at Moody Bible Institute and, you know, other institutions across the country learning, you know, that the Bible supports an individualistic framework, you know, and and I've had, I've had people come up to me and say like, you know, freedom is the natural state of man and freedom. They mean capitalism. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's like, and no one thinks very few people actually question it because it's presented Mm -hmm. to you, you know, like what we talked about with these Theobros earlier in the podcast it's presented as you like, this is the historic true gospel, but yeah, you start looking at the receipts is like, y'all made this up like 150 years ago. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and Moody from what I remember of him was kind of one of the first, I mean, there were revivalists, you know, all, all, I mean, even back before this was even whatever this oh, call is a country. Yeah. I mean, country. John Wesley, John Wesley yeah. was a revivalist, mm. uh, but he, I remember he, from my, remember from seminary in college like he was one of the first to pioneer kind of like setting the mood and like being more of a showman and being more theatrical like mega churches have fog machines largely because of dl moody like just that <laughs> like 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 turning down you know making sure the lights are low and there's no one on stage and he walks in like just a very like theatrical experience which you know for i'm sure that at one point did appeal to the working class because it's like something to do this is interesting. And I mean, mm-hmm. then of course, like you realize the sermon is about how you need to like, you know, not protest for an eight hour workday. Yeah. And there would be, some, there would be some instances where Moody would have literally have those, the, the bosses like behind him. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Sitting behind him during the <laughs> yeah. sermon. Or like, even if it wasn't like a sermon, if it was some sort of public address, sometimes he would be on the same stage with, with like these, these business big wigs and, and bosses of the of the city so that's so weird oh yeah gosh. it's it's really really weird but like but but like you said i mean it's it's so interesting and the, the way in which this this history is there and if you can sort of tie it to later developments then it's it sort of explains how the thing we describe is like the bubble you know the bubble that the evangelicals live in how it was built and so 
like the the thing I loved about this book is is that it's he carries it forward like he talks about how at this sort of pivotal moment in history these religious leaders and these business leaders helped to build this thing together that reified both spheres and then that enabled like 20 years down the line for the fundamentals to happen and like i think gloge again he he has this line this passage is brutal but he says the significance of the fundamentals project laid in its methods not its contents it pioneered of creating an evangelical quote orthodoxy out of an ever-shifting bricolage of beliefs and practices each of varying historical significance and some entirely novel unencumbered by an overarching logic the fragments that constituted conservative evangelicalism faded in and out to con- to accommodate contemporaneous ex- circumstances and like that is just brutal <laughs> but it feels like it can still describe evangelical justifications for all sorts of shitty stuff today like they accommodate to power whoever has power whoever has money we will right. shift our theology to be what you need us to be there were churches in the south like in the confederacy that like stopped preaching against slavery because the wealthiest people in their congregations were slavers it's like yeah they kind of always just capitulate to whoever has the power whoever has the money like the other day, Blake was tweeting about this, the, the, this book the other day. And I was like, I responded to something that you posted. And I was like, oh, dear God, how much of Protestant work ethic in the last century was actually anti-union propaganda? <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that sucks. That makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 That sucks. It, it, yeah. it is like seeing the Matrix after a while. You're like, oh, oh. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yikes. This is, this is a, this, this is, is the bad. perfect jail. This yeah, is what this, this is. <laughs> this, I mean, this book was an education. And then, like, have either of you read One Nation Under God by Kevin Cruz, which is sort of all about evangelical responses to the New Deal? That book is also an education because, like, Billy Graham and this, this lesser known guy, James Fifield, built a lot of the groundwork for what would become the religious right and then then it's off to the races but like but like fdr used a ton of religious language to justify all of this public investment and then like business elites found this this preacher james fifield that started basically what kevin cruz who's awesome on twitter if you guys don't follow kevin cruz oh, on he's twitter the best. He's mm-hmm. great. And this book that he wrote is incredible. And it talks about this organization called Spiritual Mobilization. And it was basically just Christian businessmen pushing capitalism forward and creating what Cruz calls Christian libertarianism, which is just whatever Theo bros default politics to bring it back to that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it really is. Like it, that is that is the default politics of the the theobro we're talking about them like they're the specimen that we're examining <laughs> yeah and 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 it's a libertarianism that i've i've it feels like it's a mile wide and an inch deep <laughs> i mean most of evangelical theology is because you begin to ask those questions like okay protestant work ethic we're supposed to work all the time like how 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 long are we supposed to work 
And, you know, so and it's funny, they'll answer like eight hours, you know, like put in a 40 hour work week, like a good Protestant and then come home and work. And it's like, well, you didn't get that without like German anarchists, <laughs> you know, bombing the police <laughs> because they were the police were being paid off by these factory workers to kill them so that they would work more like when. So it's it's interesting, like you know, I have, I have friends that are, I had a pastor that talked about how, you know, he was angry at the laziness of other pastors, how they, you know, they work 40 hours a week or something and we should be working more So lazy, you know, it's like, it's like, come on, buddy, this, so many of these ideas around work and are political. And so many of the benefits we have in this country are from protests that Mm-hmm. evangelicals are actually trying to work them back the the assault on public education right now and the stuff that they're doing and in the assault on the idea even, i think even the idea of like workers rights just generally you know like that you know when you mm-hmm. sit on to a job you should just you know whatever the boss says you just gotta take it you just gotta take it and and that is becoming a christian ideal and that is, you know, you you have to work hard for your family, your meal, or whatever. And and right. I, think, I, yeah. I think I think working hard isn't working diligently, working productively. Working is important, but you know, at the same time, like that has it has to be balanced with sleep, has to be balanced with ease, it has to be balanced with you know all the many things that make us human. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely you know like a exa- work at it's Paul's worth work ethic. It's not. It's not right. Jesus knocking off for a nap, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a storm or yeah. whatever. Oh it's not. Gosh. Yeah, Paul is definitely like the hustle yeah. guy, yeah. right? It's like, come yeah. on, come on, we got to get going. Jesus definitely took the most naps in the Bible. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He was, the yeah, nap he was king. basically a communist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like homeless, <laughs> you know, just wandering around, giving away, <laughs> giving away free health care wherever he goes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like oh this God. is why they don't like Jesus. Like this, <laughs> you know, like yeah. this is why they don't like Jesus. I don't know, Blake, if you remember uh, Donald Trump Jr. talking about how, like, you know, the teachings of Jesus have gotten us so far, but maybe we ought to. He didn't say abandon them. Oh no! Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They aren't getting like, us anywhere. Anymore. They aren't getting us anywhere now. You know, we've turned to the other cheek, and it's not gotten us anywhere. Maybe we need to like toughen up. And, and Justin and I were like, when when did you turn the other cheek? Yeah, like, when, when, when did, I would like receipts on that one. When did yeah. that ever happen? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. It's, it is interesting that the theology now of evangelicals, which again is shaped by politics, is shaped by power, is starting to like softly walk back Jesus in the open. It's kind of yeah. soft, like, mm, yeah, we don't really, we don't really jive with that guy. Another thing that blew my mind from, from the same book was... I'm sure we all more than likely assumed like that the, you know, like the second coming was real and the, the premillennial type stuff. Well, this was the period when all of that like really came into effect and spread like wildfire throughout evangelical spaces. And to the two main teachers, Robert Schofield from Schofield study Bible. Like I have older relatives that, you know, have dog-eared copies of that, that study Bible they taught that the current dispensation that we're in, Jesus' words didn't apply. So they limited the parts of the Bible about the present dispensation to Paul's letters. 
Oh. They argued that the Gospels and the Acts were not intended for present-day believers. They even said Jesus is, quote, the great teacher to a point. Wow. I mean, I'm not surprised, but like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is it is blatant. Like, he says, okay. the great teacher, in a sense, Newell, Newell, who's the other one of the other main dispensationalists, Newell mm-hmm. grudgingly acknowledged, but he was trumped by, quote, those statements of Christian doctrine uttered by the Apostle Paul. He grudgingly so, acknowledged the teachings of Jesus. Yes. Is that, oh, my God. Schofield similarly argued that the Sermon on the Mount was, quote, the law of the kingdom, the final future heard dispensation, that. not yeah. of the church, neither oh. Jesus' teachings, yeah. nor I, his. Yeah. It's wild. Like, yeah. that's why they're just not even, like, it, it makes sense that, like, Christianity, evangelical Christianity, if this is part of its lineage, why it started looking like Paul more than mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. I have heard like not quite spelled out that way, but I have heard like the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus teachings is like the ideal, the heavenly ideal, but we don't live there. We live in reality. And so, so you can must, vote for Trump. So we, yeah. So we should vote for Trump who by every measure of is the antichrist. Like, <laughs> like not even, like even the mythical head injury, I'm sure happened to Donald Trump. I don't know. Oh, Did you get? I don't know. Get, get this like, like the Antichrist would receive a head head injury, and that's when Satan would enter them or something. Like, I, oh God! I, I remember that. that. I, yeah. I remember that from the Left Behind books. Yeah. yeah. No, this was pre Left Behind. I remember learning this. Wow. But anyway, so I think maybe maybe say, when he looked at the eclipse that one. That's time, when it happened. Satan <laughs> entered his body. So, yeah, Satan wait Satan waited all this time. Yeah, all that and time. He's like now now's the moment. Now's the time. Yeah. And then he just um, jumped right back out because he's like, holy shit, that guy. <laughs> he's up. like, no thanks. My work here is done. Better. He does not need my help. <laughs> better things to do with my time. Yeah. Um, oh my god. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go work for Netflix. Yeah. My uh <laughs> my not so guilty pleasure is watching that show Lucifer. Um, <laughs> which I is is a delight to me because it's to me if the devil is real this is what he would be doing because the premise of the show lucifer is that de- the devil got tired of running hell and was just like fuck this i'm done and so he just like runs a nightclub in la and just like lives his best life <laughs> yes and, yes and eventually starts solving crimes for whatever reason but like if the if the devil is real he does That's not what care. He's doing. That's what he's doing. He's just having fun. Like he does not care. And that, that is the depth that's the attitude of Lucifer in the show is like, I just don't care. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so it it's it is interesting. Like I did not know I, the suspicions that they're walking about the teachings of Jesus. I did not know, was not aware that there is a long-running historical precedent. For just that. I didn't yeah. know that either. That's yeah. wild. I mean, it, my it, mind. it was crazy to to come across that. And it's not like, uh, you know, it's probably not even been conscious for a long time. But like, these were the, these were the teachings of the people that formulated premillennialism. And then it sort of seeped into the, into, you know, the un, unconscious. And then... Like then down the line, you have the council for biblical manhood and womanhood, like basing all their crap on the pastoral letters or something. You know, it's like <laughs> it's something that 
something that I think is so interesting to me, uh, like having like within, like among people who have left white evangelicalism is because they started preaching stuff like the Sermon on the Mount again. They just didn't mean any of it. <laughs> but they didn't clarify that they didn't mean any of it. So when we realized that they had been like lying this whole time, we're like, well, what, why am I here then? Like I can do mm-hmm. this somewhere else. Yes. Right. Yes. Like it's, it's, that is, that's bananas to me. And it's actually really smart. Right. It's like, we don't believe this thing, but we're going to preach it because it's in the Bible. Don't do any of it. <laughs> when, I mean, we're, we were, we grew up with the idea that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ideal human. Jesus is, you know, everything you know, Jesus is, is the ruler, the current ruler of creation, whether it looks like it or not. And, you know, Jesus is the best. And, but then it's like, okay, I'm reading the teachings of Jesus here. And yeah, you guys aren't taking this seriously. And then probably me, probably longer than anyone here, but maybe you guys too, like for like a good solid decade of my life, I was trying to get the church to be more like Jesus. Like, sensing it was some kind of, and obviously these are historical forces that I had no hope of overcoming. I've recognized that now, but it's like, I spent a depressing amount of my life trying to get these people to uphold the ideals of the person they say they uphold. And, and if they did, what kind of world would we live in? Like, I, I'm not like against, yeah. I'm not against the institution, like people gathering in the name of a religion. Like I'm not, I'm not anti-religion in that sense. I'm anti-imperial religion. I'm anti-patriarchy. I'm anti-evangelical. But like, what? imagine the world that we would live in if D.L. Moody had had the balls to follow Jesus and stood with the haymaker rioters and used mm-hmm. his platform, his charisma, his ability he couldn't raise funds as much obviously because he didn't have the bosses on us he wouldn't have the bosses on his eyes but his his charisma and ability developed theology and developed systems and actually stood with the oppressed and the poor and the downtrodden i meant like the fucking amazing country we would have at this point and if we would have reckoned with that stuff because this is also during reconstruction which started off not terrible and then they're like yeah we're done very similar to the civil rights movement it's like we did that racism's done i'm not necessarily an expert but tori is racism done now (laughs) because they passed a bill in 1968 or whatever yeah 1964 it's like oh we finished it it's like no there were still workers fighting for their rights in the 60s and 70s and 80s like this legislation was good but we there was still so much so much work to be done i'm like i'm just kind of flabbergasted by like blake's comment about like evangelicalism and capitalism kind of needing each other like the business Mm -hmm. world as it was and like the way that like evangelicals like worship cops and cops were created to like use use like the citizens money to protect the capitalists like stuff and it's, I'm just like, oh, these are all, all like, it's like three things that you can't reform from the inside, evangelicalism, policing, and capitalism. Like, it's like, yeah, they're, they're fundamentally, there's, there's no, there's no mechanism within any of those systems to like fundamentally transform what they do. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, and so many people have tried Yeah. Like, to your point, Justin, like in your role with it as a pastor or like a 
any sort of church leader trying to do that. Like, and there have been movements over and over. Like, I would actually say that all of the last several years of deconstruction content and podcasts and everything else was predated by books like Rachel Held Evans, Sarah Bessie, all of those, all of those really dynamic bloggers. And that was predated by something called the post-evangelical movement and the immersion church. And then that was predated by in the seventies and eighties, there were all of these intense conversations that were happening at conferences like this, this uh, historical conference. I think it was like Campus Crusade for Christ in the 70s, where a lot of black evangelicals were were lobbying for their white brethren to step up. Uh, that's predated in the 60s by a movement called the Neo-Evangelicals, and that's predated <laughs> like all the way back. And so there's always this this history of people trying to push evangelicalism to reform, to listen to the angels of their better nature. And when it comes down to it, the people that have been in power at those different times have just said no. Whether it's a, whether it's race or gender or sexuality or politics or whatever else, routinely the answer has been no, because we value this vision of God that we have more than we value the human in front of us. Like, like yeah. to me, that's to me that's the choice, and that's why people opt to leave because like they are heartbroken by that or they're just like fuck this i'm done like it's usually one one or both of those things so but like it's that history of attempting to reform of like trying to trying to anyway even though like even though the foundation's faulty they still try and they still get told no like yeah and and the people that would talk to me you know specifically about like LGBTQ inclusion. Like I had a very poignant con. I'm going to be very careful about revealing details here. I had a very revealing conversation with someone that was a church leader and they essentially were like, I know that we will not be remembered. Well, I know that history is against us on the LGBTQ. I hate saying issue, but that's was the term they would use, but this is where we've chosen to be. And this is the, essentially the brand that's wow. that I've chosen. So like there's even an acknowledgement almost of I'm wrong or at very least I will be proven wrong oh. historically, but I'm still not like I benefit too much from the system to change at all. And that was, I think that's the depressing refrain in a lot of ways is like, I think even, yeah, the Theobros are going to rattle their, beards i don't like they're gonna they're gonna waggle their beards but i i do think there are a lot of people that are just like they don't believe but they're still upholding the brand because they still get something out of it they benefit from it it. that's Um, yeah and and the more i saw that as a pastor the more i was like man this fuck this i can't do this i mean yeah um, and that's that's why i like the the mlk statement like the infamous and famous quotation about white moderates like still hits home like it's it's never stopped being true and like i don't have any expectation of of any any person of color to extend compassion to someone that like has had this this much history displayed to them and still if someone does extend that to 
a white evangelical who has changed their mind and is is like working to educate themselves like i i think that's a gift but like at this point there's enough evidence but but you know instead of doing instead of doing any of that evangelicals are leading the charge on like on legislating white discomfort it's like what is happening <laughs> it's literally what it says like if a kid is feels uncomfortable about their race which is honestly that sentiment right there that a kid would be uncomfortable because of the fact of their race like that's actually not a terrible classroom policy necessarily that we would teach material that is sensitive to all races but like the undercurrent and the reason it's being written is so that white kids do not feel uncomfortable with being white like that is the impetus of a lot of these education bills and it literally is terms like discomfort or Mm -hmm. they would be made to feel bad because of something their ancestors did which i'm like if your kid is at school just now finding out that slavery was wrong and they feel bad (laughs) about it like that's your shitty parenting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like oh, that's Yeah. Like, what what right what radicalized Tommy? Well, it was the fact that my parents lied to me. <laughs> like yeah. or the fact that that my parents didn't tell me the truth about my country. And so I think we we have to tell the truth. Like and we have to tell the truth of where the stuff comes from and you know that's Yeah. And and like the rapture that stuff, like people would look at me crazy when I would say like that was something that was invented like a hundred years ago. They're like, no, it wasn't. That's in the Bible. Like, no, it's not. Sorry. And I think now it is. I think the only I think hope I have, at least in this religious context, not necessarily fixing racism in this country or anything like that, but I think in in this fixing, this podcast is going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> just believe. But the hope I have is that I think now. It, the conversation has shifted whereas i think previous reform movements they would be like we tried to reform but we couldn't but i'm still going to retire a pastor now it's like so many people are just straight up leaving yeah like mm-hmm. i i i am no longer going to be a pastor or i'm no longer going to continue to give to the church i'm no longer you know look i am just done like there is there is enough with the internet and other things i can find community somewhere else like if I want a good speech for the week, there are millions of podcasts. I don't need the church anymore to provide maybe those social frameworks. So the theology is shitty and I can find friends somewhere else. Why would I come? <laughs> like, I think that that's the cultural moment we're in now. And so mm-hmm. while yeah. my heart does break in the sense, cause I do think there are a lot of pastors that are actually trying to do good. And they'll suffer. They'll be the first ones to suffer once the money starts drying up, sadly. But I do think that evangelicalism just needs to die. Like it's not going to reform from within. Yeah. It will not. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. We've tried. <laughs> and you know, I think that we're seeing the beginning of that. I, I hope. Yeah. How many I I tweeted something along the lines of how many times can we believe that evangelicalism will do better this time? Like, like how many times can a society really take that, take your word for it again? It's like, I think we've seen enough. I think we've seen enough. In in my lifetime alone, I've seen enough. And then when I look (laughs) at history, it's like, oh yeah, given you plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. And you've barely changed, like barely. (laughs) (laughs) They've they've added fog machines and coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You can wear you can wear jeans. It's cool to wear jeans. You can wear <laughs> jeans now.
the, the pants of the working class are welcome in our congregation <laughs> now. But they're better if they're a designer and you pay for them and your name is whatever that guy's name is from Hillsong. Special pants. Special, special pants. Special Hillsong pants. So uh, any, <laughs> any, any closing thoughts to this? We're going to wrap up this discussion on, you know, I think we've, we've decided that, you know, Theobros suck and evangelicalism needs to die. That's, that was, <laughs> those are our conclusions, but any, yeah. any other. The LDR. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, this is actually, I feel, I feel a lot better about not trying to fix it. Like this is, this is, this is very freeing for me. Like, oh yeah, I can just say it needs to die. Like across the board. Like I don't have to, I don't have to like make exceptions for the good ones or whatever. Like, it's like, no, it needs to end. That's it. That's all there is. It, it is. I, I feel that same sense of levity. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people have tried and like, and I'm glad that there's all sorts of people talking about these things from different perspectives now, but like, yes. but it's not like I, I read the, read that piece from David Brooks and they're just trying to like the sort of elites in this space are already trying to push narrative of like, okay, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to get it right this time. Now that I'm, now that Russell Moore is ensconced at Christianity Today, the, <laughs> like that Trump, Trump, like, you know, called basically like a liberal rag because they told him that he should be impeached. <laughs> Um, and then, and then that editor, that liberal rag Christianity, today. and then that editor retired and converted to Catholicism. That guy gave up. Like he was the editor in chief of Christianity today and he bounced like, wow. Yeah. And it's, there's too much history to point to and say evangelicalism, like can't, um, can't keep going back to itself for the answers. Like there's so many other these these questions have been answered, but they're outside. They're outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so yep. you gotta be brave and say, we messed up. We need help. We need outside help. We will, <laughs> we will sit quietly and just listen for 60 to 80 years. <laughs> like if you could if you could organize for workers' rights while you're just sitting around, that would be cool. Yeah. You just like use, let us do use that. your use your free time to like you know you can sit down listen start unions universal health care would be great yeah you know that would be pleasant yes business friendly it is free market. we have to make we have to make people suffer imagine all the businesses that would be would be started if no one had to worry about going bankrupt from healthcare. it is a thing so i th yeah we solved it theobros we suck. did and uh, evangelicalism just uh, needs to die. I'm I'm okay with these conclusions, and I feel uh, vindicated. And <laughs> um, so, uh, th thanks a lot, Blake. Uh, you have eased a burden off my soul. Um, You're welcome. That's, um, that's my uh, as as the Pope, I guess. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you absolved me. I've absolved you. <laughs> my my decades of trying to reform that mess um <laughs> so yeah thanks for coming on and and sharing all of that i i think context is important and i think that having more of the story than our own little experience like i think so many people have their own little experience of going crazy in evangelicalism and i think yeah when you step back there is a certain it's not awe maybe it's terror 
when you just step back and go like, oh, the thing I was pressing up against was so much bigger than me and not mm-hmm. about me. It, there is a freeing feeling. I hope more people can have that. Have you, have, have either of you I'd heard of the, it's like a philosophical term, hyper objects. Have you, have either mm-hmm. of you heard that? That sounds familiar to me. It's, it's like part of this, um, this branch of philosophy called object oriented ontology, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know, philosophy is all, you know, high-minded words, but basically it's this re- like recognizing these big things. Like the really big example is like climate change. And so the author I was listening to said global warming is in the like Anthropocene geological era started in 1784 when we started using coal and changed the earth. And then 1945 when we set off some atomic bombs for the first time and like all of these things will be around forever. And they're so massive that they like take up this space in your, in your mind. And I've started to think of evangelicals in that way too. Like it's this huge, huge thing. And we, we sort of live inside it. And, but like, if we can step back and see it, then like, there's some power in that too, to gain some levity, to like give yourself the grace that you were never taught to give yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And to have that space to laugh at it, like Mm -hmm. at just the absurdity of how huge this thing is. Like, um, on the podcast I was on Exvangelical with you, Blake, I think we were laughing at like, why did these people still, why do we still give them so much power? Like, what is it? It was Jerry Falwell Jr. Like, how does mm-hmm. he still have so much power? I was like, oh, well, it's because they've been granted political power for 150 years. It's just like, it's just reflex now. And we've got to untrain those. Definitely. Well, thank you both for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I hope it was, I, I yeah, I hope it was, I hope it was good. And- yeah. If this sounds awkward, Liz, cut it out, please. <laughs> but thank you for having. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me so on. I'm so excited to nerd out now. Yeah, like fun. more church history stuff. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, we like we fun. like to take a break sometimes from the Bible. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, where can people find you, Blake? You mentioned a couple of things. Is there anything you want to plug or anything you? Want yeah, to- I, I. Lately, I've been uh, trying to post most things to um, my newsletter, which is called the Post Evangelical Post, because all my ideas start as puns. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's at postevangelicalpost.com. You can, that's also like my means of support. You can support my stuff directly at four, six, or eight dollars a month, whatever you choose. It's all the same. And I donate 25% a month to a few organizations that help things that white evangelicalism has harmed, uh, including Tori's white homework. So as uh, is, is one of those organizations. So, so yeah, you can find that, that out there. And then for better or worse, I'm mostly on Twitter uh, at BR Chastain and I'm dabbling with TikTok, but uh, I'm not even going to mention my username because I don't know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> so yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, check out Irreverent FM for, this podcast and a whole bunch of other ones. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun partners. So uh, this is Go Home Bible, You're Drunk. You can find us on the socials at Go Home Bible. Uh, you can also find us at patreon.com uh, slash Go Home Bible. If you're interested in ad-free episodes, occasional bonus content or episodes early, et cetera, et cetera. Fun little perks there. You get your own life verse if you donate to the youth pastor tier or above. And the reviews that we get from patrons on the life verse are 
fantastic. It brings me great joy to hear someone <laughs> say like, we've had, we've had patrons that have gotten them framed or they've made like little like like acrostic little stitches of things, you know, of their life first. So it's it's really cool. So if you want one of those, uh, that's uh, available to you. Also, I am on, again, for better or worse, on Twitter at Justin D. Gentry. Uh, Tori, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Tori Glass and at Tori Glass on Instagram, but that's like my personal stuff. So whatever you're into there is fine. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. I hope you have a good week. Uh, enjoy your uh, stepping away from the 150 year old boa constrictor that is even. <laughs> And uh, don't feel bad about it. Thanks for listening. Uh, have a great week. We'll see you. Bye. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.